Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Gilbert. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play and download archive editions on iTunes. Our guests today on Creativity and Play are Emily Phillips, a board member of the MoFRA Foundation, and Rachel Phillips, who are connected with the MoFRA Foundation. We will explore the Foundation's Playtime in Africa program today, among other topics. Welcome, Emily and Rachel Phillips, to Creativity and Play. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Alice. It's a great pleasure to be on the show. Well, I, I told um, our partner on the show, the National Creativity Network had a board phone call this morning, and it was kind of fun to tell them out loud that we're going to talk about play in Africa today. So, And, and I know a lot of other things as well, so it's great to have you both here. And um, Before we talk about some of the programs, if you can just tell us a little bit about the work that you're currently doing and also about the foundation itself and your connections to it. Uh, yes, uh, I currently uh, wear a number of different hats. Um, I teach as an adjunct instructor at Whitworth uh, University in Spokane, Washington, where I've lived for some years. Um, but I have been a board member and um, a director of creative content with Mofra Foundation in Ghana, where I grew up. Uh, for many years now. Uh, in a previous life, I worked as an attorney uh, in Ghana with a special focus on women and children. And I have been immersed in uh, culture in Ghana um, my whole life, really. Uh, so I have a foot in both worlds, connecting uh, culture between Ghana and the United States, uh, where I've lived and I am also the president of a new organization in Spokane called Friends of Mofra, which supports the work of Mofra Foundation in Ghana. Um, the foundation is dedicated to enriching the cultural and intellectual lives of all children in Ghana. I have had a full circle experience with Mofra Foundation. I actually started my involvement with them as a very small girl. I attended language club programs in Accra. I did some voiceover work for our audiobook section, and I actually interned for the foundation in high school. And then after university, I have come back to Mofra to really become involved at a core level as a volunteer, implementing and launching our Playtime in Africa initiative and getting involved in creative product development and other strategic planning for the foundation. But when I'm not looking at Mofra issues, I work in Seattle as a researcher for a design firm. Well, and we should say that Mofra actually means children. Yes, uh, one of the common languages, and um, yes. say, a little, say a little bit more about the foundation itself and, and the kinds of work that it's doing uh, with children in Ghana. Yes. Um, well, we do um, a great deal of uh, development of cultural content and exposing of children to um, as much 
cultural stimulation, literacy as we can. And we do this in a variety of ways, but they're all guided by a set of common um, commitments which is that our work is grounded in the children's own physical and cultural environment. And then it's enriched through interaction with the world. Um, what that means uh, is simply that, you know, we, we give children carefully selected books to read and we have them interact in all sorts of ways. In, in a sense, what I like to call it is an open-air children's library and cultural space because we literally, for the last 16 years that we've operated, uh, have done all of this outside under trees. We haven't had, you know, a roof over our head, so to speak, but it's worked quite well. Um, so, you know, we, um, we do our best to provide... Uh, extracurricular, out-of-the-classroom, you know, um, uh, exposure for students uh, in Ghana. So could either one of you, or maybe Rachel, could you speak about the founder of MOFRA, a very inspirational woman, so I, I think our listeners would love to hear about, Efua Sutherland. Can you tell us about her? Well, I would be happy to. So Ifwa Sutherland was something of a cultural powerhouse in Ghana. She was a playwright, she was an author, she was a children's advocate, and she really fought to establish certain national cultural institutions. She founded the National Theatre, she fought to preserve public space for children in the centre of the city, and she is really widely regarded as one of our truly major cultural figures. And so Mofa Foundation, which she started in the mid-1990s, really is trying to stay true to that vision of hers to ensure that children and adults are exposed as much as possible to the richness of their Ghanaian culture and also interacting with global cultures and even exposing Ghanaian culture to the world. I, sh I should add, this is Amuwi here, that uh, Ifwa Sutherland was the author of Playtime in Africa, which uh, was the inspiration for the work we're doing now. Playtime in Africa was a 1962 uh, photo book by Ifwa Sutherland with uh, wonderful photographs by uh, Willis Bell. Um, and it was a book that is no longer in print, sadly. We want to try and change that. But it was well ahead of its time, not just in Ghana and Africa, but, you know, even, you know, in other parts of the world, many important publications on play date from the later 1960s, you know. So here was a woman from a newly independent, modernizing African country who understood the critical role of play in developing creative minds for uh, building uh, a nation state. That was quite extraordinary in its time. Hey, yes, I've had the, oh, I've had the privilege of um, looking at some of those photos. They're just wonderful. Rachel passed on um, a copy of that book, um, to me, so I could see them, and they're just beautiful. And um, it's interesting too that um, with the work that you're doing with Playtime in Africa is, and all the cultural and play work that's happening is set in Accra, which 
you know, I was telling Rachel that I kind of think of Donna as drumming and dance and a lot of play, but she was saying, no, it's centered in this very urban area where there is, for instance, corporal punishment if the kids don't um, remember their timetables and things like that. So that's part of the mix, too, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, we still have a formal education system that is somewhat authoritarian, um, where rote learning is, you know, more the norm than we'd like. And, uh, you know, it does work in the sense that there are many excellent students, you know, who go through the education system in Ghana and are able to succeed very well, say, in the United States tertiary institutions. But, there's something missing there, you know. It's almost as though creativity in children happens, you know, in spite of the school system <laughs> rather than because of it. So we're trying to, you know, we're sort of having this um, um, a, a, a sort of a counter uh, a cultural movement as far as that is concerned to do something that here is 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 much more common but in in that part of the world is almost revolutionary you know to free children up you know with movement and um allow them to you know explore and um speak up and you know make decisions from them for themselves about what they want to do the the book uh that you mentioned playtime in Af- africa with the um the photos um, the, as you described it on the website, uh, really captures the imaginative games of children from all over Ghana. And Rachel, I presume you you were one of those children who played some of those games. Uh, can you can you tell us what some of those games look like and and how to you know some that are probably quite different than than uh, what American children might play? Mm. Well, I don't know that they are all that different. I think maybe the one thing that stands out for me, having spent time growing up both in Accra and in the United States, in Washington, I've noticed that Ghanaian children's games, there's a root of rhythm and a root of music that really pervades so many of the games we played as children. So, you know, we would play clapping games. There's a game called Ampe, which girls play, which involves delicate (laughs) balances of clapping rhythms and jumping and stomping, games that involve singing, games that involve dance, movement. But, you know, we would also play games like tag and stuck in the mud and things that kids in the U.S. would really readily recognize. Well, go ahead, Steve. Um, um, Emily, I was going to ask you, as as somebody who has witnessed this over a longer period of time uh, in in both continents, are there games that you have seen perhaps being lost over time that children are no longer playing in Ghana? I think so, yes. I think I would say that very broadly speaking, um, children who are in the more, you know, rural areas who aren't as affected by urbanization, you know, by globalization, tend to have retained their play culture. So they have a much richer play culture, say, in the northern part of Ghana, which is as far away from the capital, Accra, as possible. So, you know, just in a very general sense, with the advent of media, um, television, uh, and so forth, children have lost 
some of their play culture so that their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation uh, played different games. Part of what Playtime in Africa is trying to do is to reclaim those games, you know, and um, to foster a sense of play, uh, not just in children, but in the uh, adults who come to that space so that there can be this sort of intergenerational intergener- um, uh, mix, you know, the parents and grandparents teaching children what uh, games they used to play. Uh, One of the most exciting things we're doing uh, from a design perspective is we're recreating traditional games for uh, natural play space. So I've just spent three months in Ghana this year uh, doing this designing, I I, um, I had a co- concept which my team has prototyped of taking the game. I think it's known here as Mankala, but it's called Oware. Uh, I I don't know if you know it. It's basically a board with six pits on either side and um, a place to store your pits for both sides, played by two people. I think I've seen that, yeah. Okay, well, that's a game that is an ancient game that is played in some form all over the African continent. So what we've done is we've taken the the inspiration, you know, of local and African culture, and we've um, we've scaled it up so that we've designed this large, uh, outsized oare on a pedestal, you know, that uh, is in the outdoor space that has been beautifully carved uh, from a piece of recycled wood. Uh, so, you know, we're covering all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's 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 just fantastic. You know, the children are already, you know, going out there, standing there, playing this game. And that's one way in which we're reclaiming, you know, old games and culture. So that's very much a part of uh, what our d- design thinking is. And also, I, I noticed that there's a wood project going on, too. With um, There was a time where there was a huge storm, it sounds like, and a lot of trees came down, and so there's attention to reclaiming those the wood for your projects. Is that correct? Y- yes. Yes, it is. Uh, this is this is you know, playtime in Africa is not just you know a two-acre play space that we're you know trying to develop. It's 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 a movement. It's a it's a way of showing um, uh, you know a more resilient way of urban living and doing that through play with children. Uh, perhaps Rachel can add to that. Uh, we like to think of the Playtime in Africa site. I think it's evolved far beyond the idea of simply providing a space in which children are able to play freely. It's almost a social laboratory, an urban lab, where we look at issues of design, we look at issues of sustainable development, we think about the natural resources that are available in Accra's urban environment, we consider how culture influences design and how we can create things that are modular and replicable and accessible so that people of you know every socioeconomic status, every level in the city can come and appreciate the aesthetics and can realize that this kind of space is and should be accessible to everyone. It's not out of reach. 
And in that sense, I noticed too on the website there's a section called Made by Mofra. Uh-huh. Can, you, can you share a bit about um, the audiobooks and different projects that you have going and how people can access some of that? Yes, well, uh, the audiobook project is something that I, I uh, was delighted to be involved in uh, some years ago. Ours are the only two locally produced audiobooks in Ghana, if you can believe that. Um, and uh, they are both uh, grounded in uh, the rhythmic culture that Rachel is talking about, so that both of them are, you know, stories that you read um, with a a sense of rhythm and with uh, music involved in them. And I'm very pleased to say that we've just um, come to an agreement with a streaming service called Tales to Go, uh, and they will be streaming one of those books, which is called Voice in the Forest, which is a delightful sort of environmental tale, um, uh, very much in keeping with what, um, you know, the, the spirit of, of, of Playtime in Africa and Mofa Foundation is. So hopefully that will be streaming before the end of the year. Um, Wonderful. Mary Alice, things. about the uh, about the 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 wood issues, uh, yes. you know, uh, Accra this year when I got there was, um, uh, you know, in the middle of of of, of widening several of the major roads. And I was horrified to see that, you know, 70, 100-year-old mahogany trees were being felled, you know, to expand the roads. So I sort of became what I call the wild wood woman of Accra. I I would go and stand there for, you know, half a day in the the hot sun, you know, until they gave me uh, some pieces of mahogany that I could take to the Playtime in Africa site. And so we've been using them for, uh, well, uh, you know, mahogany. You know, this is, uh, you wouldn't believe that we'd be using those in a children's play space. It's such great wood, but it's, it's 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 part of you know a hall of wood that you know everywhere we look in the city if we see you know um, a, 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 a piece of wood we sort of go and see if we, we can have it so there's this this sense of salvaging uh, um, materials from the city and turning them you know into these uh, usable features some of the wood has been cut into slices. I think you call them cookies here. This is sort of small slices of wood. Uh, we, we're calling them yam slices because they <laughs> look pretty much <laughs> like the Ghanaian yam. But we've, we've used those. We've sanded and drilled, you know, holes in them. And they've just, you know, become so versatile, you know, so they've been painted in the the colors of the traditional bead culture, for instance, so that little children can use them as counters, you know, so it's a sort of a, what I call a stemscape feature, you know, where um, uh, kids can be 
told about the you know the the cultural history of beading, but they can also use them as clappers, you know, so that there's a sort of a sound and rhythm element there. Um, they play you know hand-eye coordination games with them, you know, uh, to. Uh, traditional songs um, and you know we hang them you know from the trees and they just make the most beautiful installation so it's sort of a multi-purpose uh, redesigning you know of of material that would either be used as firewood or thrown away it's it's terribly exciting and clappers are traditionally in many cultures um, connecting to the ancestors so that's an interesting feature, too. And I'm a big believer in found objects, so good for you. <laughs> oh, indeed. I mean, our, one of our uh, dreams is to is to have a, a section of the space that, uh, you know, um, is a sort of a soundium, you know, a place where children can make music and, you know, we can have workshops and uh, groups, you know, um, of children having master classes in rhythm and so forth. Uh, we've already had a couple of experimental sessions, and it was just wonderful. One of the things that, that uh, you both have written about is uh, the idea of designing cities with children in mind, and you've definitely been touching on that and some of which you've been describing. Can you say a little more about what, what does it mean to design cities with children in mind and what kind of elements that should people pay attention to if they care about designing this way? Well, we've really been exploring urban design because the more we look at even such a small space, a little two-acre park and children's space, the more we realize that propagating these sorts of spaces in the urban environment is beneficial not only to children, but also to their communities, to the adults who surround them. Because if you think about it, to design for children, you're looking at creating a space that inspires creativity, a space that is safe to play in, a space where you can feel confident, a space, in our case, that is green, a space that breathes and connects the children to nature. And, you know, each of these things is incredibly beneficial for adults as well as kids. And I've been exploring the concept. Actually, Seattle just had a conference on design in health where there was a great focus on active design this movement to really modify our cities so that they naturally encourage an active population and encourage healthy lifestyles. And I feel that design that focuses on children cultivates not only active bodies, but it really cultivates a life of the mind, inspiration, creativity. And it's sort of amazing to think that we can use our built environment to change the way that we think. Well, what do you need for your project? What what can you call out to our listeners in, in terms of what you need and and and, re, and make requests here? And how and how oh. can people get involved? Well, I mean that would be wonderful. We've you know one of the the, the most. A wonderful aspect of this is that uh, Rachel and I, uh, who you know originally were trying to sort of give some shape to this concept, reached out you know globally through social media, through Twitter, through Facebook, etc. And we sort of got this small but very loyal. 
<laughs> following of people who, you know, were not necessarily giving us, you know, um, material resources at the time, but were just, you know, encouraging us to do this work. And, you know, uh, from Argentina to Japan to Sweden to South Sudan, I mean, there were individuals and small groups there who were encouraging us. Um, so, you know, the first thing we'd like to do is to ask people to... Um, visit you know our social media pages uh, uh on facebook um uh, twitter the, the, those can both be accessed through um our our website and um to sign up for our newsletter where we you know um give them updates on what's happening with the programming but there's also you know an opportunity to donate to this this project on our website, what we're trying to do is to call out to uh, specific interest groups. So, for example, you know, if there's a garden club or a garden centre that wants to adopt some aspect of the garden that's you know growing in Ghana, um, uh, uh, the, you know, to plant special trees, you know, or to help us with some specific unit of the the space. Um, it would be wonderful for them to uh, get in touch with us. We're also calling out to um, university-based uh, student clubs and groups in, oh, anything from landscape architecture, architecture, you know, environmental engineering, public health, early childhood education. You know, these are all um, uh, things that are relevant to what is going on uh, in Ghana, and um, uh, we, we, we'd, we'd love to talk to them and let them know what our specific needs are. Um, we will have a list <laughs> of these on our website and on our social media just after the show. In our remaining uh, couple of minutes here, perhaps you can both share with us your favorite way to play these days yourself. Well, one thing I've discovered while living in Seattle is that it's a wonderfully inspiring city for someone who's been interested in parks because Seattleites tend to conserve the oddest little scraps of land in their neighborhoods and make them into these little pocket parks. So one of my new favorite things to do is to wander my neighborhoods and visit new neighborhoods in the city and just try to spot the tiny parks, maybe, you know, take a gander at one of the swing sets, do a little bit of climbing, perhaps go through one of the stone labyrinths. But it's just a wonderful way to meld urban exploration and outdoor play. And I've been really lucky to live in an environment where that's possible. I um this is Amawi. Um I find that, you know, I've become a designer by accident purely, you know, because <laughs> I have no training or background in it at all. But from law um, from law to design. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go figure, right? Um but I I really uh love doing this work, you know, trying to figure out ways to make uh, spaces work, you know, w with kids um, and uh, being in 
Spokane, you know, I am surrounded by uh, educators and playful creatives in the small group we have here called Friends of Mofra. Um, and uh, Spokane also happens to be a rather sort of park-rich, you know, environment. So um, that is something of um, an inspiration for me. But um, I think just, just, just playing with design ideas and taking them, you know, into prototypes is something that I, I I'm enjoying doing enormously. For me that is play. Well it's been a delight. And I wanna just explicitly say that this is a mother daughter team we're talking to today too. So that's also a just a wonderful addition to our show to have you both. So thank you so much. And um and I and much. I would I would encourage uh, everyone to go on to the uh, the website and, and check out all the possibilities there, playful possibilities. Thank you very much, Mary Alice. Thank you, Steve. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily and, and Rachel Phillips, our guest today on Creativity and Play. Uh, Emily Phillips and Rachel Phillips are connected to the Mofra Foundation and its Playtime in Africa program. And our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste. You can listen to this show and previous shows again and find more information about our guests and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com. And find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Belberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.